This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Laurie Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. We are going to be reviewing Prodigy Episode 108, Time Amok, which stole my heart. And I think Tony's as well. But first, we got some news to get through. And there was a finally a much a long-awaited announcement from Paramount Plus about premiere dates, season renewals, and all kinds of details that we've been waiting for forever. Paramount sent out this press release this week, which was basically adds up to we love Star Trek. (laughs) And that's because they just announced a whole bunch of stuff all at once. Nothing was a surprise. A a lot of it was stuff we kind of already knew. But when you add it all together, and especially for people, you know, not paying attention in the, you know, out in the greater media, this was taken as like, oh, my God, you know. They're doing a lot of Star Trek. Yeah, that's why I'm sure they waited to put it all together, because they wanted to make a big splash with the announcement. Let's go through the list show by show, because there was stuff for all five shows being announced. I know. So uh, Star Trek Discovery, season five, it's happening. It has been renewed for a fifth season. Despite the uh, frequent reports of its cancellations since season one. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I, I Like, when the show wraps up, let's say with season five or season six, you know that those people are all going to say, see? Yep. They're going to say, I told you, I told you it couldn't last. And I'm like, in the meantime, it's now surpassing enterprise and has already surpassed original series in terms of the number of seasons. (laughs) Okay. Let's put an asterisk on that on there's numbers of season, numbers of episodes, but these episodes, you know, take longer to shoot. So it's all, you know, it's it's not apples and oranges, but right, anyway. It's, it's not a straight uh, <laughs> straight up episode count, but it is seasons. Speaking of episode count, so what they're now doing with Discovery is matching it with the other four shows, which is the seasons are 10 episodes long. So season five of Discovery will be 10 episodes, even, even though season four is 13 and we'll be coming back next month with another six. I'm not sure if we confirmed that, but that's like a hundred percent. It's six more episodes. Right. My big question about season five is, um, is Tilly. Yeah. Um, we didn't see anything from Mary on so, you know, cause after these announcements, all the cast, there are a lot of the cast and crew, Michelle Paris go onto social media and they're like, isn't this great? And we can't wait for you to see what we got coming and all that. Nothing from Mary, nothing from her husband, Noah, I'm not sure if that means anything. Yeah, I but, didn't. Uh, I didn't see anything from Sonequa. I may have missed it, but I didn't see anything. She did something on Instagram, just uh, "Let's keep this thing going." Right. I think was her message, or something like that. That's basically everything for Discovery. Picard, w- which was supposed to come in February, now has a new release date of March 3rd for season two. And we knew that was moving. That didn't come as a big surprise to us. Here's what's surprising about it, and this is related to when we get to the next show as well, which is I thought because Discovery was taking a five-week hiatus, it would push Picard five weeks. But the fact that it's coming March 3rd, it means they only pushed it a little bit. So now the last three episodes of Discovery Season 4 are going to overlap with the first three episodes of Picard Season 2. Which creates a problem for all of us podcast reviewer people (laughs) it's still a bit surprising that they crammed it in there and then that gets weirder yeah (laughs) the final episode of picard season two will arrive on may 5th which will also be the first episode of strange new worlds which was announced as a release date why do you think they wouldn't just wait a week for a while i was predicting that strange new worlds was coming in may because that made sense but once the discovery came i thought that was going to kind of push everything forward a, a month but it feels like what they did is they just kept their original plan for strange new worlds and therefore they're kind of doubling up for four weeks of Picard. So four to 10 weeks of Picard are going to arrive with an episode of another Star Trek show. Well, I just, I think the bigger deal is that last episode to have a season finale of a show that you want to give a lot of attention to. And you know, there's always a flurry of press and interviews and all this stuff. And then also the premiere of a brand new series on the same day. Like maybe they're going for huge attention, but that to me is split. It just doesn't, 
it doesn't make sense to me unless there's some other deal at play or some business reason. Some people think that they're trying to do something with the 4th of May because May the 4th is Star Wars Day and it'll come the day after that. I bet there's going to be something big on Disney Plus for that day, maybe the new Kenobi show. I think it may be more business related to the launch of Paramount Plus in Europe. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, maybe that's coming out in May and they want to make sure they've got their new Star Trek show in there. That's just a guess. I have no idea, but it's exciting that we're getting Strange New Worlds. It has a release date, and even though we kind of already knew this, they officially said, and yes, we're making another season. Yeah, which I think is great because people do get, even Star Trek fans can be wary of investing in new shows. There's so many short runs of shows. So I think that's, I think that'll, it's a good, good call to make sure people know that. So when you do the math, the first 27 weeks of 2022 are going to have 31 episodes of Star Trek. <laughs> Who would have ever thought such a thing could happen? And remember a year ago, you and I, like every week, we're like, what are we going to talk about this week? I know. Because we, were, <laughs> we, were, we were in the COVID production zone where, you know, there were no new shows for between January and was it October? I, I forget. August. August, right. Because when Lower Decks came on. Right. Speak, speaking of Lower Decks. Season three is coming this summer. And then they're they're renewed for season four. Which, you know, we kind of assumed was going to happen. But it's, you know, again, it's a nice to know, uh, have a confirmation on that one as well. And then they repeated what they've told us before, which is Prodigy will come back later in 2022. My bet is around November with 10 more episodes. Although I think we've mentioned before, they are calling those 10 the second half of season one. Right. Even though they're more de facto a season. I think this has to do with the, how the show was originally ordered and the relationship with Nickelodeon that they're considered the first 20 episodes are considered a season, but really it's, it's more more like the second season of Prodigy will start at the end of the year. So that'll get us to 51 episodes if all 10 show up during 2022. So this year is going to have almost as many episodes as weeks in the year, even though they're going to double up on some weeks. It's very exciting. And when you start adding up all the orders they've made for future seasons, 2023 could easily have 10 episodes each from all five shows because all five have more seasons ordered already. Right. So we're now pretty much locked in for, you know, over a hundred episodes spread between 2022 and 2023. I love it. Bring it on. Um, what do we know about international distribution? This part is always sometimes kind of iffy in terms of details. I mean, the only thing we know, I mean, first of all, the Canadians are fine. Everything's, you know, Yay, if you're, if you're in Canada. I'll call everybody and tell them at home. <laughs> everything's on CTV Sci-Fi and streaming on Crave. All the shows, you know, they've got a really good deal with Viacom, CBS, who don't seem to want to be pushing. Even though Paramount Plus exists in Canada, they don't seem to, they seem to be happy with this arrangement, at least for now. Um, so let's, Picard season two is the next thing that's coming in. March that is going to be on Amazon. We've like triple checked, like you're not going to pull any last minute shenanigans. Right. They're like, nope. <laughs> I've asked Paramount this. I've asked Amazon this. They're like, everything's fine. I'll look like a jerk if if they do something, but I'm saying, don't worry, you're fine. Okay, and that's most of the world is covered on that one. So Picard's fine. Strange New Worlds is still. A question mark. But I'm assuming it's going to be on Paramount Plus internationally, uh, which will mean, you know, Australia, where all the places where it is now, but hopefully more like the launch in Europe, which is supposed to be coming this year. And there's actually two launches in Europe, and I'm going to get into the weeds here. But there's Paramount Plus, which is in connection with Sky. But there's also another thing called Sky Showtime in different countries in Europe. And I think that a lot of the Paramount Plus content, including Star Trek content, is going to also be on this thing called Sky Showtime, 
which is also coming in 2022. And, but we have less details about that. And that's like Eastern Europe and a lot of the countries that aren't part of the sky, the other sky deal. It's very complicated, but basically Europe is getting Star Trek this year. And that'll include Prodigy and Strange New Worlds and Discovery. Right. Lower Decks will remain on Amazon as well. But zooming out, they're definitely showing a lot of enthusiasm for Star Trek with this announcement. Yeah. And I think they got a lot of buzz for it. You know, a few months ago, I think over the summer, Alex Kurtzman signed a new long-term deal. This is all resulting from that. In fact, Kurtzman was quoted in the press release talking about how this is fulfills the promise that they made four years ago, right, of year-round Star Trek, essentially. It probably would have happened last year if it wasn't for COVID, to be honest. Yep. And he also hinted about he this phrase he's used before, which is the next phase. Because although this takes us to 2023, let's, you know, why not? Let's talk about 2024. Some of these shows are going to probably wrap up. Picard's the big one that we think. And probably Discovery's getting close to the to its end. They've got to be thinking. It's 2022 now. Uh, they've got to be thinking about 2024. You know, by the end of this year, they're going to have to, you know, make a decision on what's going to be next and or maybe they you know maybe they won't stick with five shows i mean that is a lot of shows there's no rule that says you need five no that is a lot i mean i feel like they're the ones that seem more their own thing and then they're the ones that kind of go together so that's where it gets it's like the live action and the animated primarily i think two animated two live action they could settle on that in the future even though right now they've got three and two but i feel like there's going to be another live action show because Prodigy and Lower Decks, they could run forever, basically. Yeah. And they've ordered, f- you know, 40 episodes of Prodigy. So that's going to be running for quite a while. Lower Decks, I could see that going into 2024. So, But I think 2024, we're going to see another live action yeah, show. Yeah, I think that makes sense. What's, if you had to put money on either uh, Section 31, Starfleet Academy, or something entirely new, where would you put your, your poker chips? I mean, that's a real tough one. Because I... I've asked myself the same question. I don't know. I think a lot of the question is what replaces Discovery? If they consider Discovery their anchor show, I think there's a third show that we haven't talked about, a new Starship-based exploring space show that they're going to do after Discovery. Do you think in the Discovery timeline, since they'll have Strange New Worlds going in the old timeline? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if it's in the 32nd century or maybe, you know, 33rd century even. <laughs> but some kind of starship based, I mean, maybe they, but they do something different, like they jump to a new galaxy or something like that. But like a new crew, but it's it's old fashioned, you know, old fashioned is not the right word. But, you know, it's, it's kind of like how Voyager followed from uh, Next Generation because the Academy show and even section 31 still feel like they're not anchor. Show, they're not kind of the main thing. Now you could consider strange new world yeah. sort of an anchor. show. I mean, I think it's it going to replace discovery as the anchor show because it's just at the very beginning of its run. I mean, it hasn't even premiered yet. And I think that's, that's going to be a big one for them. They're certainly expecting it to uh, hook a lot of fans who the ones who already love Discovery will love it. And then they're hoping to get the people who have had issues with Discovery. So, you know, in, in that light, like if you're saying goodbye to Picard and you want to bring, you know, in a sense, replace that niche of a darker show, then you're thinking more of the Section 31 show because um, the essentially the Starfleet Academy shows really shooting for a different demographic that they're not really aiming at that much now. Um, although one could say Discovery might be that, you know, because Discovery is really trying to tap into younger audiences. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know. So we're it's a whole lot of who knows. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I figured. Um, I'm I feel always like there's a show we're not we're not talking about this kind of and maybe it doesn't exist. But Alex kind of alluded to it once in the past. There's, there's a another unnamed new ship exploration show, I think, in the works quietly out there. Right. Show X, let's call it. <laughs> I'm always interested in in where you see these things because I think you have good instincts plus good 
business savvy. Plus, you pay attention to every word that these people say. <laughs> so um, you're my go to. <laughs> God, that's put, putting a lot of pressure on me. No, no, no. I'm not saying like you have to be right or I'm going to stop <laughs> thinking that your opinion is valuable. I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying I think your opinion is valuable. No matter what. Sometimes you. you get it wrong. It happens. It's okay. So that was the the big, big news. But there was there was a few other bits this week that were interesting. Sure. Like um, Discovery, once again, is nominated for a GLAAD Award for Best Drama Series. It's the fourth year in a row. No surprise there. They've worked with GLAAD closely. I think both Gray and Adira, I think they worked with GLAAD on that. Last year, they won this award. Glad, if you don't know, is a celebration of LGBTQ representation in media. So. Right. I mean, their focus is on fair, accurate, and inclusive representations, because obviously there are all kinds of terrible representations that were always out there for a long time, and now they're trying to make sure that doesn't keep happening. So, you know, we're we're still working our way through award season. They got the, you know, makeup nomination I was surprised because this week the Visual Effects Society announced their awards for the year and we didn't see anything for Discovery. It could be they missed the deadline because Discovery started in November, right? Which was the cutoff date for right. award submission award submissions. So that might have factored into it. Yeah, um, it seems like, unclear. I mean, the effects, I never complain about the effects on Discovery. Yeah, and they've been nominated for that in the past. And there's more stuff coming up in upcoming weeks that they could get nominated for. So we'll keep an eye on all that kind of stuff. Now, besides all the Picard release date news, Paramount also released a new poster for season two. It's a good one. It's cool. It's like very dark. And, you know, go to the website because we're describing something you should just look at. But it's cool. It's basically a profile shot of Picard with Q, like, right behind him, kind of looming over him. Eyeing him. (laughs) So, you know, so they're basically saying Q is a big part of it. And we know Q's in six episodes. So this season is the Q season, basically. And it's still serious. You know, this poster's kind of evoking, you know, that... It's still a literally a dark show, a serious show. He's not, he's not going to show up with a mariachi band. <laughs> Sadly. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't mind like one mariachi band. But yeah, and he's been talking about uh, the way that Q has changed, which we've touched on a little bit in the past. But I feel like we're getting, even though it seems like small statements, I feel like we're getting a little more detail from him. He's talked about Q being different, more serious older, more mature. We've heard that. Now he's talking a little bit about Q's motivation, which I think is a bit more mysterious Mm -hmm. in that because the trailers, he's like, oh, the trial never ends. That's cute. It's a reference to the last line in TNG. But because we've often talked about why are the things happening in this and what's Q's part? Like, is Q putting them on trial? Is Q sending them around timelines just to toy with them or to test if Picard still has a soul in his new robot body or whatever. Uh, <laughs> robot um, body. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's like zero. <laughs> <laughs> but Delancey is now saying what's different about this Q is he's a quote more focused individual with very strong internal motivation and desire to get Picard to do something. And then later he said, Q has a real sense that something's got to get done. So what this adds up to is Q wants something from, wants Picard's help with something. Right. So this whole situation, you know, we've been speculating, like, does Q try to help them with it? Does Q cause it? But maybe Q is the one who alerts them to the problem. In the trailer, Picard still says that Q went back in time and changed. You know, so I think Q may still cause everything, but it may be for some reason. It may be there's something, some, you know, galactic reason why this is happening and Q needs them to do something. You know, we still don't know, but hey, you know, March isn't that far away. Yeah. But it, it's definitely a different take than this is just another test, a trial, that kind of thing. Right. And he spells out clearly in terms of his character that he calls it unseemly if he was playing Q the way that he used to play Q. 
And he said he wasn't interested in doing it if that if it was just like, let's bring back this character exactly the way that he was. Right. With the fun quips and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think we're going to get less of that, but hopefully not none of it. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think he'll still look. He's always going to be a wise ass. So I assume he'll be some of the, I just think we won't have as much sort of silliness as right. he used to have. As you said, no mariachi. Right. Some of this information came from a panel that he did at the Trek Talks eight-hour marathon um, sort of online event. So he was on a panel. It was a really good panel. It was a guest stars one with James Cromwell, Elizabeth Dennehy, Jonathan Delarco, and Noah Averbach-Katz. So that group, it was such a good, unusual group to get together. And was very fascinating, I thought, just to hear from each of them and also watch them hearing from each other. Like, I don't know how many, how often you get those people all together to have a conversation. I thought all of the panels really were great. I at know. The, you know, it was a really good event. It was for a good cause. Um, as we talked about last week, it's uh, for the Hollywood Food Coalition, which is uh, the charity that's run by John Billingsley. Uh, Dr. Flox. It raised over $61,000 with 30000 of that coming from Roddenberry, Rod Roddenberry, who said, if you can raise, if you can get up to 30000 we will match it. Very nice of him. You and I, we love all the bus, yeah, because there were a lot of actor panels, which are, which are fun. The DS9 one was really nice, but we loved the behind the scenes one. The writer's one was great, oh. although it turned into a huge love fest for Jerry Taylor because everyone was, everyone was there going, you know, Jerry Taylor, you're the best. It did, um, but I it, also felt all kinds of weird subtext going on during that panel, like especially with Brian Fuller and Brandon Braga. I feel like there was all kinds of stuff going on. I don't know. I found it very fascinating from a psychological point of view, as well as just from a writing point of view. I've talked to both of them about this. This is one of those things if two people could have a different point of view about the same thing. So they, they definitely, you know, they were in the same room together, but they were having very different experiences back in Voyager, you know, and, you know, uh, as Brian talks about of being the kind of, outwardly gay guy he called himself a viking homo (laughs) (laughs) but he was i mean i've heard him in other interviews talking about how that was for sure difficult and that people would just make jokes and asides and things like that and he that's why he was so grateful to jerry for just accepting him and welcoming him in and i'm gonna guess that's why he and lisa clink uh became close pretty quickly and the director's panel uh, was great. A lot of kind of inside baseball stuff. As surprisingly, Jonathan Frakes didn't blab about anything. I don't know what's wrong with him because that's he knows that's his job is to <laughs> spill things because he's 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 directed for everything now. He's about to direct for Strange New World season two. I mean, come on. I think he was trying to make sure that I felt like everybody was making an effort to keep it balanced. And I think that he and Tunde were both wanting to hear from the others, you know, who had been around earlier. But that was a really great panel. And then I loved they took a lot of behind the scenes creatives and just put them in different groupings. So we had like Rick Sternbach and Dan Curry and the Akutas and Ron Beemore, visual effects, Judy Brett, like all these people were so fascinating to hear from. I liked the way they grouped them together. I felt like we got something fascinating in each group. I keep saying fascinating, which is a very Star Trek word, but also, I mean, I sat, I kept my computer next to me for the whole eight hours, like every panel. I thought that the activism panel wouldn't be so interesting. It was emotional and fascinating. If you're a fan of Deep Space Nine's The Visitor, which most people out there are, that they got Tony Todd and they got everybody involved almost everybody involved in that one. And it was um, enlightening as well. So kudos to the Roddenberry podcast team and to the Trek geeks network team for putting this all together and for moderating it. it you should just dip in and out. It, it's eight hours long. So, you know, you can't really watch it all in one sitting or probably shouldn't. Oh, that sounds like you did. I, I did. I mean, I was up and I would take the computer into the kitchen and make dinner and whatever, but yes, it's I think it's it's well worth your time. I thought every moderator was great and I thought the event ran really smoothly, which is very very hard to do and I would have forgiven a lot of mistakes, but it ran really well. Couple quick merch notes before we move on. We talked about Delancey, 
this week, there's a company called EXO6, and all they do is Star Trek figures, 12-inch Star Trek figures. That's all this company does, which is a really strange focus. Very specific. (laughs) But look at the work. Look at the workmanship. I mean, it's insanely good. Yeah. So this week they released or uh, uh, pre-orders and and images for their Judge Q, and just I mean the outfit and the selection of hands and the, it's a sculpt on Delancey. It's it's mind-boggling, you know. So yeah, it's two hundred dollars. But uh, if you're into that kind of thing, check out that article. And speaking of merchandise, another thing that was on our 2022 list of things we're anticipating is playmates and it looks like next monday they're going to be announcing details on their upcoming star trek line or at least the first wave of it so um they've teased this on instagram and i've confirmed that there's going there's going to be a release of stuff so we'll have a big article on monday with all the stuff um and we'll talk more about it next week but so when do we think the actual products are coming out i mean i know we have an announcement soon but do you have any any idea ballpark wise well, I would expect fall 2022, maybe some stuff in the summer. You know, the supply chain and all that kind of stuff has been a problem, obviously, with China. And uh, But they definitely want to get stuff in for Christmas of this year. So I, that's why probably the fall. I mean, remember, this was the Toy Fair was supposed to happen, but isn't happening this year. So this is, you know, the, the, this announcement is partially to retailers. So they tend to do those kinds of things fairly far in advance right. so i don't expect anything really soon so not in time for my birthday in march is really what I, my question was about to be no no <laughs> i mean playmates is such a big part of people's re- memories of 1990s i mean there were all the tv shows i mean it's funny because we're this week we are talking about getting back to star trek all the time on tv like it was in the 90s and playmates coming back and of course, there's a new movie in the works and there's a game coming and it really, it's just starting to feel like 1996 suddenly. I remember when it was embarrassing to tell people that I liked Star Trek because it was this long dead property and why did I still care? <laughs> well, it's back. I know. These are good times for all of us. <laughs> and then one other thing we want to send you to on the website is that our sister podcast, The Shuttle Pod. Um, which actually was the first podcast the Trek movie ever had, is back after a break. So they finally have a new episode and they talk about what they're looking forward to in 2022. So go have a listen. It's a good one. Yeah, it's great to have the gang back. I mean, Jared somehow manages to bring up like the data dating episode, (laughs) which I don't even... He's always great with the obscure references. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, So there you have it. (laughs) Go listen. Uh, You know, after you finished... With this one, of course. So let's move on to Prodigy Time Amok, which is not a typo. <laughs> it is uh, just they seem to be having fun with the titles. And this was appropriate. If you saw that alone, you might think, oh, this might be like a Vulcan thing. But the no, it, the, the, the key word was time. <laughs> um, and not, not not a muck. It was a muck, but it had nothing to do with Vulcans. There were no right. Lurpas involved. But I mean, I loved it. It was amazing, I thought. Yes, I just, I thought it was such a great combination of emotional stakes and real stakes, and not that emotions aren't real, because they are. Great way to introduce time travel concepts to this audience and a lot of sort of Trek tropes that go with that. But for me, it was the emotion, like it hit huge emotional notes for me. I was, I had tears in my eyes more than once, and I just, my heart swelled. I'm just going to go all out and gush. I, I agree with all of that. They also dropped lots of hints for future stuff, like lots of little pieces of our of our big story we got and little hints of things to come. So, um, you know, it was packed. It was actually in terms of like density. I thought it was nicely between the last two. We had an episode that was super packed with everything and then one that was sort of much more straightforward. And this one hit nicely in the middle. When you hear they're going to do a time anomaly episode, you think, oh, it's going to be baby's first time anomaly. Um, but they took <laughs> it seriously. I mean, it was simple. I mean, they did lay it out. You know, they, they were the exposition was good. They showed diagrams of how all the time stuff worked. But I, it was still 
a richly told time anomaly episode, which of course is a classic. I mean, you, Matt, and I have been noticing like, oh, this episode reminds us of this episode and that episode. And the list is kind of endless. Once you dig in to how many time anomaly episodes there are in Star Trek, it's it's kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, so any episode with the word time in it, of course, but cause and effect and, you know, we'll always have Paris. Um, You know, I even feel like uh, the the rock storyline reminded me of the Voyager episode one where Seven was all alone on the ship. And also a bit of like, I would say both wink of an eye and blink of an eye (laughs) because you have, (laughs) because we have different people in different sort of with, with time moving at different speeds. And of, and of course shattered from Voyager timeless. I mean, there are a million, you're right. There are just two, there are so many that I'm sure I could come up with 10 more. This week was the anniversary, 21st anniversary of shattered. That was seventh season. Yeah, we just had a we just had a post up about it. I love that's a favorite episode of mine, so I love it. You almost wondered, like you know, Janeway at some point should have said, "This all feels really familiar." (laughs) (laughs) You know, the ship split into different times. She started looking for Seska in a panic. Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) But they weren't copying these things. They really found a new way to tell the story, but more importantly. It was all in service of the bigger story about the arcs of these characters. And especially coming back from last week's episode, which was because of what happened, you know, the, the, the disastrous first contact that just went so badly for them. The crew was basically splintered, shattered. And this was all a metaphor for that. And they had to work together. And the way they worked together brought them all back together as a crew, and they all grew. Even though they weren't together, that was sort of the poetic beauty of it, was that they, right. they and she says it, she spells it out for them, but yes, like they don't need to be together to work together. They just had Janeway as the unifying, you know, the unifying factor that could convey the information from one person to the other, mostly. I mean, everyone had their moments in this episode. Which is something they do really well on this show, is everybody gets such a strong moment and whoever your favorite character is has one. And yeah, there are some that feature characters more strongly in some episodes than others, but they're really good at spreading it out. But I think more than anything, this is a rock talk episode. Yes, my favorite. So if you look at the last three episodes, they're very much about Dal and Gwyn growing into their roles as captain and communications officer respectively both of them kind of had these pivot points and you know had showed you know skills related to their chosen roles on the ship although dal kind of had a uh, learning by failure situation last week (laughs) which which is actually the best way to learn something and this episode was rock's chance to grow into her role which has been unclear and certainly you know, when the show started and they said oh you should be the security officer because he's so big and she said she didn't want to do that way back in episode two or three and that was brought up again in this episode but it still kind of brings up the bigger issue of you know what is rock's role because zero kind of has a defined role jankum has a defined role so what's rock going to do on the ship because she doesn't want to be the bouncer Right. It's not her personality. I mean, that's, you know, what I loved that they pointed out, which is, yes, yeah, she's big, but but to be a security officer, it's you don't necessarily even have to be big, right? It's not about big. It's sort of about being tough. And she's not tough. Tasha Yar was no giant, but uh, she could get, get it done. Yep. You know, but the other issue, everyone's kind of a teenager, you know, which has its own challenges, but Rock is really a little girl. Definitely preteen. I mean, you know, you know, precarians who knows how, you know, I guess they live for over a hundred years in the books or something, but she's portrayed as very, very young, innocent, sweet, like a very young girl. And emotionally, I, I don't, I don't want to use the word immature, but definitely not um, as developed as a teenager or an adult would be. Right. And they're in dangerous situations, life and death situations, combat situations. 
you know, I brought up, you know, is it responsible for them to keep this very, very young person around in this situation? And as they went through the different time phases, the beginning of this episode brought that up and kind of set it up as a red herring because Janeway goes to rock after, you know, Jankum went boom and said, okay, you know, we're going to need you to help build this thing to save the ship. And she said, I don't want to do that. I can't do that. And literally shut Janeway off. And at, at that point, I'm like, wow, if they don't come back to rock, that's almost, you know, that, you know, that's almost f- a fatal flaw for that character at that point. Right. Although I will say, I mean, I, I don't disagree. So although is the wrong word, but I think one of the keys to that was the way that Janeway spoke to her was like a captain would like pressured and you have to do this. You need to do this. It's had that all that tension in her voice showed her an image of the ship blowing up like all of that stuff was overwhelming to Rock Talk. And later when Gwyn basically tells her what she has to do and talks her into it, she's so gentle in the way that she says it. Like her tone never, never gets that, that edge in it. You know, it's all very, I know you can do this. You have to do this, but you can. And that made a huge difference. And what Janeway did was show her something terrifying and, and almost yell at her. <laughs> right, which would have worked for a normal anyone else on trooper. the ship. Yeah, <laughs> I knew as soon as I saw that, like, oh my god, I can't believe she just turned Janeway off. Like, that's a big problem. I, I knew they, they've they're gonna have to come back to her because you know was obviously setting up you know the triumphal thing at the end. And so what they've done, which is a trope, and at first I'm like, oh god, they're gonna do it. Which is they she grew she literally grew up you know, off screen as it were, we don't know how long. I mean, early Janeway says, um, she says something uh, like she goes lucky for you. 10 minutes will seem like an eternity. I was like, that was an odd intro to that phrase. (laughs) Right. And she tried to reboot Janeway dozens of times. And when Gwyn asks, how long has she been alone? uh, Janeway says too long. I mean, it feels to me like it was possibly, a year or years, you know, definitely many, many months. Yes. She was alone. Yeah. So well, she it was, definitely, it was hundreds of times that she, tr- that she tried to reboot Janeway, like 200 and something. Right. So, the, <laughs> so this is, so she's now a teenager. She's now caught up to the rest of them is my point that before it was a bunch of teenagers and a little girl. Now it's all a bunch of, they're all teenagers basically. And she now has acquired a certain set of skills. Yeah, <laughs> as it, as it were, it reminded me early on that the pre-publicity promotion of the show. They's like, you know, uh, Dow's the captain and Gwyn's the communications officer. Zero is the navigator. You're like they they put out these things and the, with the titles of the what their roles are. And for Rock Talk, it said science officer, and I kind of forgot about it. But I'm like, yeah, you know, so this was obviously the plan from the beginning, but they decided to you know, wait and have her do this kind of quick grow up thing. And now she is the science officer. Although zero feels, it was, they called zero the navigator way back when zero kind of also feels like the science officer. So it'll be interesting to see how they, they work together. Right. Um, uh, Jacob's obviously the engineer. I mean, um, Hey, discovery has a whole lot of science officers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, Star Trek, lots of science is yes. great. The more, the better. I mean, Zero showed, it was great when, when Janeway pops into Zero's time frame and Zero's like, oh, I know what's going on. Yes. He's already there. He's way ahead of her. She's relieved. And then he has this nice little, I was going to say emotional moment, but it's like an emotional half moment <laughs> where he starts to say that he wishes that they would all know what they mean to him. And he doesn't even get to finish the sentence. But that is an important thing because we've talked about how he has this weird, almost detached, like, oh, isn't it interesting? We're all about to die. And it's almost like he isn't connected to reality and emotionally connected to the rest of them. I feel like that's where they are headed is being more present with everyone else on the ship and part of the crew. Well, more connection, which is a big theme in all the Star Treks these days. But yes, more connection. 
there was another subtle thing they said, which is, I wish I had a better hand or something. Or oh yeah, I think they're going to get maybe Jankum is going to make or, or possibly even Rock Talk will design a, a more articulated hand. Yeah, I think they need that because I was watching in the way that they were. They have like that clampy hand <laughs> that just seemed <laughs> right kind of problematic. <laughs> But getting back to Rock Talk, I thought Riley Alzaraki did a fantastic oh. job. It was a difficult job of she had. There was a lot of range in this episode for her. And, you know, I think that it was a, you know, it was just beautiful watching her grow up quickly and, you know, become herself. And it was heartbreaking, you know, when she was all alone and she was pretending the rest of the crew was there. I mean, if she was alone for, hopefully we'll find out more later, but if it, you know, many, many months, possibly years, she must have been, they showed her in the holodeck watching um, the re- a recording of the crew, but hopefully she had some holodeck friends or something, because if she was really alone for that long, she would have gone a little crazy, yeah, right? she would have gone bonkers. Especially someone like her, so young, so dependent on connection she really needed that hug that was the best hug i've ever seen on tv (laughs) right it was so yeah it did it definitely felt earned it was so Um, earned and i i wept a little of course and again this you know so we have this cool timey-wimey episode with a different take on that and yet all of this is really what's going on here um, and it, which is the crew's coming together in a weird way and rock is growing up and that's really what this episode's about but still the sci-fi stuff i felt was satisfying in its own way they throw out a lot of techno babble a surprising amount actually um i thought they really weren't going to go that deep um throwing around all these really technical words I, well i feel like a lot of i feel like they're also prepping their audience not just for future episodes of prodigy that are probably that are going to dig into these things more but also as future viewers of other star trek shows right yeah because it's all words we've heard before tachyons and all this kind of stuff Uh, speaking of you know i mean this is one of the things of course with all of these episodes you know on on your second fusing maybe on your first viewing you're like wait a minute and the biggest wait a minute on this episode is for sure as Gwen and Jacob are <laughs> looking out the window and they're like, oh, what's that? And she's like, oh, it's a tachyon storm. And you're like, why are we heading into it? Who's flying the ship? Yeah. Why is it even moving? Like, where are they? Literally, where are they going? Do they have? Are they, uh, is it just, you know, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> come on, you know, can't you go around it? It just, I mean. Obviously, you need the anomaly to happen to have the episode happen, but it was a little weird that they just flew right yeah, into it. Yeah, they didn't opposed- even try to avoid it. <laughs> Although it did give us one of my favorite lines in the whole show, Jankum. He said, Jankum was afraid it was a physical manifestation of how we feel. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that comes back off the... Um, the big conceit of the series, which I've talked about before, which is the Janeway was told they were all cadets. And that it last week I said, that's over with. And surprisingly, she nominally believed, still believed at the beginning of this episode. And it took, which I think was nice. It took Dal to admit they were lying as, as opposed to her saying, okay, you guys have been lying to me. He admitted it. And he took responsibility for other people lying. He said, I made us all lie, which I thought was a big deal. I mean, I also kind of think she knew and was going along with it, waiting for them to come clean. But I, you, you want to hope that's true because otherwise, otherwise it's like, yeah. But how did you feel about the hand wave? Because she says later, oh, that's fine. Oh, you guys stole the ship? That's fine. That's why I think she knew. That's why I believe that she She literally says, I'm programmed to help you. Come on. They st- they admitted to stealing the ship. She's like, that's okay. You're my crew. I'm programmed out. That's just, that can't possibly be true. There's right. got to well, be something else right. going it on It doesn't here. make sense in the larger universe and the specialness of the ship it should not be something that just anybody can come in and 
get all this free help with. Earlier on, she was trying to, she was locking Gwyn out of the ship when she thought Gwyn was trying to steal the ship. That didn't work because Gwyn got around it, but it showed that she has some safety protocols. Right. For she knew Gwyn was to... in the brig, so she knew there was a yeah. reason for that. <laughs> Still, um, I think, you know, my headcanon for now is that she is going to turn them into cadets like we're going to see them become cadets on the show she's going to sort of try to run them through starfleet and we're going to see them in uniforms because she needs a crew to do what she really wants which is find out what happened to her old pal chicote yep and we got a little chicote a tiny just yeah beltran yeah a little like voice simulation that was beltran (laughs) dreadnought doing his voice Right. Not not Dreadnought, technically. Dread oh, 2. Dread 2. Pardon me. <laughs> so sue me. Yeah. I liked how the Dread 2 robot, which was recreated using the replicator, um, was didn't look exactly the same. It was a different color. You know, it was more Starfleet-y. <laughs> you know, and then you wonder, like, why didn't the Diviner do this while they he was chasing the ship off Tars Lamora? Or when he was chasing the ship when he caught up to them later. But, you know, we're just going to... We're just not going to think about that. Right. Or that he, he can just keep <laughs> doing it. So... It, it, the, the irony is that um, Rock doesn't want to be security officer on the ship. But this ship needs a security officer. Because, you know, last week we had Nandy the Ferengi just steal all their... Um, Chimerium. Chimerium. Yeah. Right? Because, you know... I mean, they, they need to learn some safety protocols. Because... People are stealing stuff off their ship. People are beaming things out of their ship. I mean, they, 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 you know, this is uh, they've got problems. Yep. They 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 need a wharf. They need someone to, you know, clamp that stuff down. Yep. Right. But yeah, so we did get a, a little bit of diviner this week. A little bit of something curious with Dread Two when Jane was like, "You raced my programming," and he's like, "Well, You're close but no cigar." Yeah, it. Uh, I thought that was really interesting um, because you know, just adds to the mystery. And then also he says things to Gwyn that I found intriguing where he says something like, you know, that, that she was her, the diviner's biggest mistake. But he's still following the rules. He's not killing her. His plan was to steal the ship and take it back to the diviner with her. To its rightful master, as he says. Now at the end of the episode, this is all timey wimey weirdness, but so he was in Gwyn's timeline, uh, was the only one where Dread 2 was built. Right. Uh, I guess in all of the other timelines, it was corrupted and didn't work. Right. But when the ship was put back together at the end, we cut to a shot of a kind of partially assembled Dreadnought in the replicator. With the, with St- the glowing Terminator eye. The question is, will he be back or is he too damaged? But they could talk to him. I don't know. But he's going to be back next week on the ship, I guess. Hopefully someone checks the rep. You know, again, (laughs) they need a security officer. Someone's like, oh, wait, did someone say we have a, you know, a rogue robot running around the ship? Maybe we should check on that. Worth checking again, maybe, since they know how it happened the first time. Yeah, Exactly. You know, the the other question, of course, is you know, it was a good idea for Dal to use to think about the, that replicator. But is that the only replicator? I mean, we know they have food replicators, but we haven't actually seen any standard, you know, the thing in the wall replicators on this ship. Look, and we which could have made all the parts he needed. Maybe. Right? I mean, I think the vehicle replicator is much more complex and can do bigger, better things. Like you, I don't think you could ask the, you know, a different replicator to make you a ship. No, but if you, I mean, he needed a little part, a warp matrix thingy, a standard replicator, twenty fourth century Starfleet replicator could have made one for sure. They can't just make hot tea. They could do all sorts of things. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking. It's the only replicator on the ship. I mean, the ship isn't that big, really. It's a pretty small ship. So maybe it really is the only replicator besides the food replicators, which might be limited to food. Right. So, and that simplifies things for the 
audience. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. That's my that's my head I mean they and they certainly don't want to spend every episode going into every reason that they can't do things that we've seen on other shows. For sure. For sure. I mean, is there anything else we could gush about this episode? Are there any um you know, there was I mean, I did even though it was very serious, I I you know, Jankum uh and Murph were there for little fun moments that I you know, it was cute when Janeway pops into the Murph timeline and she's like, whoever's here has got to save the ship. And there's Murph barfing up another part. She does a little face palm. That was nice. <laughs> yeah. She does her little Picard. Although Janeway, she's done her own face palming. Too, yeah. No, so it's she's, really not just. She's a big face palmer. I mean, yeah. absolutely. So I thought that was, I thought that was appropriate. I'm very interested in her conversation with Zero. They stayed to explain why everybody stole the ship and who they were. And I'm hoping that we will get some flashbacks or insight into that conversation because I wanted to see it. And later she says, as I told Zero. So now getting back to my, I can't believe she's doing this. Maybe even though she's saying it's part of her programming, it's gotta, it's gotta be that she's, is taking sympathy. I don't know, but why is she blaming it on her programming? She should just say, I'm with you guys. I'm, you know, I think what you're doing is okay, but you, you need to learn more about how Starfleet works because they do really. Right. I think she says it's her programming because that's the language they understand about her and how she works. Yeah. It was the clearest way to get it across. One thing I thought that wasn't clear, you know, at the beginning, they have this whole thing with the riddle, um, with the, yeah. with the fox and the chicken and Jenkin wants to eat the fox and the grain and all this stuff. So I, th- I mean, it's such a famous classic riddle. I remember seeing this as a, as a kid a million times in puzzle books and things like that. And I thought, I mean, she didn't even spell out the conditions of it. So I'm wondering if that's going to be a big feature in the Janeway explainer video. If it's going to be like, well, here's what the problem is and here's how to solve it kind of thing. Right. I mean, zero hints at the solution. Yeah, which zero is- gets it. But she didn't lay out the stakes, right? Like you can only take this many things at a time. You know, there was a lot of missing detail, which I don't think was a, it's a good choice because they just wanted to move to the good stuff. But I have a feeling that they'll they'll explain that in one of those videos. But it's also a bit of a metaphor for the episode itself because it's kind of this complicated thing if you got to move one to the other yep. side and then take one thing back from the other side. And it's kind of like how Janeway had to move pieces around the ship to the different timelines yeah. as they oscillate because the oscillating back and forth time is kind of the way that puzzle works where you kind of go back and forth back and forth totally so yeah it all ties together nicely but i was surprised they didn't just spell it out because if you're a kid watching this episode you might go well how does that work if you don't know the puzzle right i mean with all of these things it's you know you just this is a 24 minute episode meant for young audiences and they've only got so much time. Yeah. And so. So I think they made the right choice. I want to get back to the time stuff and where we think things are at the end of this episode. Because So the the diviner was months away. The question is, how long were they in their time loop? Like, has the diviner had time to catch up is the question. Well, wouldn't it have really just been 10 minutes? That's what I think. But you could easily use some hand waving to say to because I thought this might be a way to get the diviner to catch up with them as well, um, to give him that that time. Yeah, I thought I thought it made sense that it was 10 minutes. Oh, no, it does make sense that it's 10 minutes, but you could easily throw a line of dialogue in there and say, well, actually, it was 10 minutes over and over and over again. And therefore it was four months and hello, here's the diviner. Yeah. I mean, look when it, you know, as Janeway used to say that if you try to figure out time travel, you just get a big headache. Um, right. <laughs> I mean, but, how, how long was Kelsey, Kelsey grammar, you know, um, looping around in his little time loop of 10 minutes. Uh, so. Right. Time was passing on the outside of the loop. Yeah. Right. Because how much of a threat is the Diviner, especially if he can't beam in more robots from 4,000 light years away? I think, you know, we're going to definitely see him again. Oh, yeah. For sure. You know, what's funny is I just started watching Fringe for the first time after some good Twitter recommendations, which John Noble is one of the stars of, and he voices the Diviner. So now he's way more fun to me 
on Prodigy because he's such an interesting actor like that. I get I guess I just haven't really seen stuff he's in before. I know he's done a lot of things, but I haven't seen him. And he's so good and quirky on that show. I'm only in like episode five or something. But now I'm enjoying The Diviner more. Great show. And uh, that's how I knew him. So when he was announced for this, along with Jimmy Simpson, who is a fan of. Yeah, I love Jimmy from... Simpson. And they're getting more to do. Dreadnought, I think, you know, Jimmy was able to have some fun with him this episode. So no, it's it's that's why I'm hoping that he, they do the thing where he catches up because it's just more interesting when he has more to do right. and isn't just kind of a one line evil villain right. off in the distance. Soon we will get them. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I'm interested to see them do more. I mean, they hired really good actors to do those voices, and Jimmy Simpson is very quirky and interesting. So I assume, and, and they've got those two guys plus. Um, Jason Alexander and all those, you know, uh, Diggs and um, Jamila Jamil. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how they're going to fit it all in in two more episodes. Assuming that we're going to get all those guys in the first block of 10, which we've all, we've kind of just assumed. Yes. Right? I hope so. Um, I'm very excited about them. I mean, it does feel like this episode... Is in my interview with Aaron, he did basically say, "Yeah, there's time travel." This, I think, part of what this episode is doing is kind of talking about time, getting people ready for them to do some more time travel, which will be because I think that's possibly where they're headed. Yeah, and i th- I think the way they're building up concepts in the show is so well done. Like these, the way they're writing for for kids and just adding each building block at a reasonable pace, but it's still fast is very impressive. I wonder if the proto star itself is useful for time travel, possibly. Well, it's pretty powerful. Although it's heavily reliant on artificial gravity, which seems to be a major yeah. <laughs> design flaw. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like every time you lose power, the ship blows up. I mean, what? So, yeah, that's that someone's got to work on that. Yeah. But hey, it's a prototype. You know, you live and learn. Yep. Anything else? I mean, my favorite Jankum line um was at the end when Jankum distinctly remembers not being alive. I know. I was very curious as to how they all remembered not being alive. I mean, one thing is how did Gwyn figure out how to communicate with Rock? But she's a genius, I guess, in communication, so she could do kind of a transphasic communication. Yes. Right? That was such a beautiful thing, too. Yeah. I'm sniffing just remembering. Poor Rock. <laughs> what, and I want to get back to the Rock thing and the pivot point because there was a very, it was so beautifully shot. So you know, even after that, and Rock gets kind of the pep talk from Gwyn to say, I understand what you're going through. I understand the pressure you're under, but we really need you to step up. Or we're all going to die. And Rock is like, I can't, you know, and the way they zoom out on the ship. And then there's this moment where she looks down at the Starfleet logo, you know, the emblem. And it feels like that is her moment. That was her pivot where she's like, I can do it. I can be Starfleet. And then you hear a little sting of the TOS score. That was so nice. Like perfectly used. It was it was very fast, very subtle, but that was it was like when Spock told Dal about the needs of the many. That was his moment. Yes, when he he's like, oh, I get it. And uh, Gwyn, what was Gwyn's pivot? I think seeing her dad um, choose the protostar. Yep, over her. Yeah. Um, and this was uh, now. Do you think that? Because those seem like very noted pivot points for these characters. Do you think that Zero and Janka need pivots? I mean, they have growth, but do you think they're going to have like these big moments like this where they kind of change and move in a new direction? I don't think they need big pivots. I think they're small things, and I know they've hinted that Zero is going to figure out that maybe reading everyone's minds and announcing what they're thinking isn't the nicest thing to do. Um, but that's yeah. that's just character growth. But I think that I think these are the big pivots. 
yeah, I mean, they're all coming into their roles. Yeah. Which is why I think eventually we're going to see them in those uniforms, which Nandy, you know, asked them, where are your uniforms yep. in the last episode? It'll be curious because I guess they'll be in cadet uniforms. I'm sure they'll have their own new spin on those um, well, as well. There, we have a lot of very different body types. <laughs> like yeah. Zero. <laughs> Rock talk. It's going to be interesting. I was surprised when, because you know, Rock talk grew up. I thought... Rock Talk would look a little different, maybe be dressed different, but it, I think it's exactly the same. Yeah. Her, her, you know, her overall thing. Although Janeway had a weird line where she said, you haven't aged, but you grew up a lot or something like that. She said, which I look think, at you, kid. You haven't aged, but you've certainly matured. So I think that's more because of the timey-wimey stuff. She was, she was physically not aging but was living many months, you know, almost like Picard in the inner light, right? Where she was having all these experiences, right. but, you know, in a very short of time. And she, look, the, the big change for her was she shifted from just kind of being sad and pretending the others were around her and reliving moments to suddenly realizing, like, I need to learn all this stuff. Yeah. And that was a whole shift in attitude. Which I think started with Gwyn saying, I'm sorry that I kept saying you're the security officer. And I was told who I was my whole life. And, and I get it. And I think that was the, a very important thing for her to say. Yeah, I think there's more, definitely more for Rock, um, especially dealing with the time alone thing. Like maybe yeah. she's you know, now going to be afraid to be alone or something like that. Something, there are definitely going to be repercussions from that emotionally, which she does such a good job of conveying so much emotion in her voice. That I'm really looking forward right. to seeing what they do with it. I have one favorite line that I want to bring up also, which is when Janeway sees Dread 2 and uh, Gwyn says, a gift from my father. And Janeway's response is, can we return it? <laughs> <laughs> they don't usually give Janeway the good line. So that was fun. And that was very Voyager. I mean, they, they, they definitely get Janeway and Mulgrew Voyager. Yes. You know, and and yet she's different in this. She has. Sure. You know, so I, I really I I appreciate all the choices there. I mean, I feel it's bad. Like every time I watch the show, I'm like, and I just love this and I love that and I love this. But the show is just hitting so many good notes for me. Janeway's much more than the coffee, you know, that yeah. they are. They, they get the essence of the character like the facepalm earlier. These guys as I've said, they, they know their stuff. They know their Star Trek. And importantly, they know how to tell stories for this audience. For multiple audiences at the same time. The, another layer of this is just how relatable it is. The moment when Janeway goes in to talk to Dal and she's trying to get him to stop playing. I mean, how many parents oh, have done the same yeah, thing? Hello. Where your kid's there staring at a screen, you know, and it, it just, it, it's all very relatable stuff. But not over, you know, not heavy handed. And um, I think it all, you know, they, they know what they're doing here. Yep. So. Agreed. Well done. Okay. So let's move on to our bits. My bit is actually kind of tied to this episode because when, when Dread 2 takes, you know, simulates being Chakotay, he reads off Chakotay's authorization code, which was Chakotay zulu x-ray x-ray dash four seven five right so 47 all right and 47 is of course a repeating number in star trek they do it all the time and this week one of the youtubers i like ryan's edits put together a video which is like all the 47s in star trek oh, and cool. it goes on for three minutes here's just a taste here's just just some data 47s for you. <laughs> According to the plasma conversion sensor, the starboard engine has been in continuous operation for 47 days. 47 days? This particular pawn has a lacunae of 47 minutes. By my calculations, the next time distortion should occur between 28 to 47 minutes. The resumption of our present course at warp 6 will place us in the Talib Beta system in 6 days, 13 hours, 47 minutes. Failure anticipated in... 47 seconds. For the 47 seconds I was inactive, there is no record of cognitive activity. <laughs> Check out the show notes on our article to see the full video or just go to Ryan's edits. Another fun entry from those guys. Yeah, it's surprisingly entertaining considering, you know, a, a very single singular theme. 
So let's move on. What's your uh, bit of the week? So mine is one of my Twitter friends, Thad. He goes by Tyrannicus on Twitter, um, is doing um, a viewing of every single episode of Star Trek across the franchise alphabetically. So he made these by episode title. So he made these spreadsheets for each letter and he's making his way through. And of course, as new episodes come up, um, he's he's watching them. So, so and he said he actually told me one of them came up perfectly alphabetically, I think, as he was watching. But so he started with Voyagers 1159, like he started with the numbers. And now he is in the letter C. But we'll put up a link to, I think, his first post about it because it's just it's such a fascinating idea. I love that he took the time to map it all out and plan it all out and is encouraging people to do it with him. He will sometimes post like a quote or a shot from the episode. The hashtag is using is A to Z Trek. Um, you could say ATOS Trek if you want a little original series throwback. Um but it's just a lot of fun and a great thing to do. And who knows how long it'll take him to make all his way to make the, his way through every single episode of every single show. But wow, what a task. There's always the debate of should you watch them in production order, or chronological order. So I like how he's like, screw that. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do alphabetical. I mean, why not? He said it started for him when someone like made a jokey tweet about watching Star Trek in alphabetical order. And he just suddenly thought, oh, that sounds good because he doesn't like to watch just one series. But you'll end up in a weird way getting some themes like we were joking. There are quite a few episodes that start with the word time. So he'll watch all those in kind of as a group. And I think there's a few episodes with Q at the beginning of yep. them. So you'll, you'll you'll start getting almost mini arcs accidentally. He's guessing it'll take him about 13 months to do the whole thing. But of course, you know, you never know what happens in life. And now he's going to have a whole lot of new episodes to squeeze in there over this year. Right. So, I mean, by the end of this year, we're going to we're going to get to close to 900. You know, certainly by the time he gets through it, it'll it's going to catch yeah. up to 900 episodes. So good luck. Yeah. So that's it for another episode of All Access Star Trek. We'll be back next week with the penultimate episode of the first 10 of Prodigy. Right. So that's it. Thank you for listening and see you here next week. Bye-bye.